This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to make sure before we start. Good morning. How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> Great. Great. So, um, man. My name is Shua. It's very good to be with you guys. I'm the worship pastor here, which um, Joby would say is a step down from pastor, like normal pastor. If he ever wants to get under my skin, he's like, worship pastor. And I'm like, and, and then I feel a little bit sad, but not that sad, because I do enjoy leading y'all in song. It's really fun that I get to do that. I have a wonderful, amazing wife and two kids, one that is like out in the world breathing the air and one that is just breathing a pregnancy. Um, she, I don't know, I don't know what, 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 what she's breathing, but we've got a little girl on the way and we're very, very excited about that. We're in this series, the, the, uh, the Our Father, which we read together. And um, I do hope, I do hope that you've been finding yourself uh, praying this prayer, 12 every day. How many of you guys have that little alarm on your phone? Great, good. If you don't know, uh, we've set our alarms at 12 to pray the Our Father. So at any point in the day throughout San Diego or wherever you find yourself, there's like about 100 other people praying the Our Father together. And let me tell you, this prayer what we're attempting to learn by it and through it is um, that it actually changes the world. That since the time it was prayed first, it began changing and shaping and forming the world as we know it, all the beautiful things about it, all the good things about it, and specifically, specifically the ways that Jesus has entered into it and continues to meet us here. I want to start this morning by telling you a story. We're going to do a little practice, exercise, meditation for the imagination. Are you guys ready for that? Show of hands. Yes, amazing, amazing. It's going to be good, I think. We'll see how it goes. I want you to, you don't have to close your eyes or anything like that. Just picture a city in your mind, and it's an old one, an ancient city surrounded by a big, great wall. There are towers and colorful banners poking into the sky, flapping in the wind. The city constantly hums with the noise of its inhabitants, hushed conversations. The sizzling, cracking, smoking fragrance of street food, maybe some violent arguments, tools striking rock and stone and metal, the ringing bell of some temple, memories and moods and dust in the air. 
Outside of the Great Big Wall is an empty plain that goes on for miles and miles. Desert stuff, very boring, zero Wi-Fi. No beaches or surf or trees or anything cool like that either. There's one gate on the wall. One way in and one way out. Anyways, I want you to imagine that the ruler, the king, the queen, the president, whatever floats your boat, of this city is in fact you. Can you say me? Yeah, hit me with a me. Me. Yes, you. Welcome, king, queen, president, lord. You're like, please, no. Somebody gets struck with lightning. Um, anyways, uh, I don't know how royal you feel today, but keep following me. One of your advisors in the city comes to you and informs you that there are invaders at the gate of the city, which is weird because they didn't even send you a Google Calendar invite. How dare they for this invasion? So you go to the gate, standing high up on the wall, and expecting an army of soldiers, you look down to the ground outside of the gate, and down at the bottom of the gate is just one guy. One guy. And he's waving at you. And he's wearing Crocs or sandals or something. It's hard to see from up there. And you call down, who are you and what do you want? He smiles at you. I'm a friend, and I've come to make a trade. This is strange because it seems like he's brought absolutely nothing with him. He's just got his Crocs and his little tunic. You reply like a normal person would. I don't think we've ever met. Not a lot of people get to meet me. I'm kind of a big deal. King, queen, what's your name? Yes, we've met before. What's your name? I'm King Jacob. I'm a big deal. Okay, not a lot of people get to meet me. This is my city, my kingdom, the kingdom of Jacob. What sort of trade are you looking for? The man replies, oh, I've known you for longer than you can remember. Again, weird, because he doesn't look much older than 30. I'm somewhat of a king myself. I've got a kingdom and everything. Here's what I'm asking. Give me everything you have, and I'll give you everything that I have in return. Jacob turns to his buddy on the wall, and they shrug. Oh, is this guy serious? Well, listen, I've got a lot of stuff good stuff. I've got servants and singers and cooks, like all you can eat. I've got Spotify Premium, Netflix, a Tesla, a Forerunner, like three pairs of shoes without holes in them, a college degree, a girlfriend, very attractive, six-pack, you know what I'm saying, a well-paying job, a Labradoodle, a PS5, and we managed to get the cost of gas from $6 to $3.50. The kingdom of Jacob. How much is gas and where is it that you said you're from? He replies, I didn't, but I'll tell you. I'm from the kingdom of heaven. Fancy name. Where's that? He smiles again. Right here, right now, if you take it. All right. Another look at your buddy. I don't have time for this. I've got a meeting in 15, a little Zoom meeting. Explain yourself in 10 or wander the desert. This kingdom of heaven, what's it like? And the man chuckles to himself and says, that is a very good question. What's it like? We're in a series called Our Father. Say, Our Father. There's this moment 
that Jesus had with his disciples. They're all huddled around him, and they ask him maybe the most important question that's ever been asked in the history of man. How should we pray? Or teach us, Lord, to pray like you do. I hope the truths illuminated in the first uh, phrases of the text are still stirring in your heart, right? We have at the beginning, we pray to God as a father first, right? Our father in heaven. This is about throwing aside inhibitions and approaching boldly the God who sees us as his children. If you didn't know today, you are in fact a child of God, which means you find yourself today loved, cared for, seen, heard, Jesus wants us to know and experience this because, like Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you see God as loving, as caring, as kind? Do you see him as a a mean judge? Do you see him as someone you need to barter with? Or do you see him as a father that will take care of your every need, that will provide for you? We also pray to a holy God. We pray to a God who is beyond our comprehension. Like we can, he's both very simple. You're like, oh, father, I can get that. Like I have a father, maybe he was great. Maybe he wasn't so great, but I at least understand the concept of what it might or should be. Okay, so I can wrap my head around that. But then holy, what's holy mean? Does anyone know what holy means? Show of hands. Okay, you have a pretty good grasp on that. You're a good Christian. You've spent your time in the evangelical world. Um, But even then, as we try to grasp it, he transcends our categories. We seek to hallow, to treat as sacred and ultimate the name of God, even as we approach him as his children. In In this part of the prayer, in this like hallowed be your name part of the prayer, God And the person of God becomes our ultimate aim. And today, we'll attempt to pray this next movement of the Our Father with conviction. In order to do that next part, your kingdom come. Turn to your neighbor and say, your kingdom come. But not their kingdom. Maybe Jacob's. They got gas, like, down such a low price. I need that right now. Your kingdom come. We need to understand, have a base understanding of kingdom, or at least the word. Jesus' Jesus's disciples and the onlookers would have been very familiar with the phrase kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom come, etc. Because the whole that phrase appears 30 times in the book of Matthew alone. Like that's the thing that Jesus would come uh, to do and to say. How many of you guys think you know very clearly what the gospel is? Again, we're just going to be a lot of hand raising, a lot of replying today. So just like get your arm ready. Good, great. Does anyone, like, can we do the back and forth thing? Can somebody just in one, one sentence tell me what the gospel is? Someone that's really brave. The good news of Christ. Amazing. That is very true and very good. Anyone else? Death, burial, and resurrection. That is very good. One more. God's kingdom has come. All of those answers are true. All of those answers are true. But you, my friend, 
are resonating the words of Jesus as he walked around. Jesus didn't step onto the scene and say, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to rise. Although that did happen, that is the gospel. Let's be very clear. He actually appeared on the scene and began telling everyone, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said it over and over and over again. And he really wanted people to get and to understand what the kingdom of God was, what it was like. Now, go back to this trade thing, okay? God is at the city or the gate of your city or this person is at the gate of your city. And he's saying, let's make a trade. And you say, okay, kingdom of heaven, that's great. What's it like? And he says, well, it's like, it's like a mustard seed. Okay. Great. Mustard is kind of tasty. I don't know. I like it on a hot dog. What does that have to do with anything? Uh, Well, you know, who's there? What sort of people are there? And he goes, oh, the poor and the meek and peacemakers. I knew that was going to happen. And peacemakers, the deaf, the blind, the lame, these people that need me. Doesn't sound like a great trade just right off the top of the head, right? And most of the time when we hear the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, we think of a specific place or time like we're down here and heaven is up and out there. There's a place where heaven exists and it is not necessarily where we are. That's not incorrect either, but some other definitions might help us grasp the concept. Let's keep it simple. Let's take a look at the English. Let's break the word up. King, dumb. King or dome. King dome. Well, we know what a king is. A king is a title. It's a title. It's a position. It's a rank, which is very good. How many of you would like to be called like king or queen? I guess today you did get called that. But it's two two words here that when put together kind of changes the meaning. The suffix dome, D-O-M, extends the meaning of the noun. It follows. There's three extensions might help us understand what kingdom means. One, it can be like a place or domain, which which is what we kind of immediately think about. Or it could also be a state of, a, a state of being, existence, presence. Like when you're bored, boredom is the state of being bored. When's the last time you were bored? You're probably scrolling TikTok, so you didn't really feel the boredom. And then there's dominion, dominion, which means to rule something. So kingdom could be the rule of the king. Kingdom could also be the state, existence, the presence of the king. Or kingdom could mean the place or the domain of the king. And uh, let's start with the state of being, like boredom. Boredom is the state of being bored, and kingdom is the state of being in or around or presence of the king. What if the kingdom of heaven, and this is the first question I have to ask, is what if the kingdom of heaven appears wherever humans are childlike, holy and hallowed, in a prayerful and believing state of being? What if the kingdom of heaven isn't way out there? What if it's right here, right now, because we hallowed God's name in song? 
what if like while Julius was like singing and leading us in song, the kingdom of heaven's like, oh yeah, there we are, <laughs> and comes and meets with us, or our eyes are open to the kingdom of heaven all around us. I'm not just saying like wherever good and moral and kind of nice things are happening is where the kingdom of God is. That's very nice and has somehow become like subjective goodness or morality. But that's not what Jesus means when he proclaims the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our eyes are open to this state of being when the very person and presence of God enters into our worlds. It's an ongoing reality that we partake in, a rule that is being established and spreading in the earth, through the earth. Tim Mackey says this, in the West, we have a grand narrative of moral progress. It's the driving narrative of the Western world, and sometimes we like to tie in Jesus to that narrative. But Jesus' grand narrative was about the covenant story of God and Israel and the world coming to its climax, to its end, in himself, the arrival of the kingdom of God. So I'll say this after me. Wherever God is, his kingdom is. So if God is mobile, if he moves through space and time to meet us and take on flesh and bone, then there his kingdom is also. The kingdom of God is where he reigns, where his will is done. And you might ask, okay, well, is God's will just to kind of hang out with us? I'd like for more good and moral and just things to happen in the world and less bad things to happen. That sounds nice. Does that sound nice to anyone? You might turn to all of the injustice in the world and say, why doesn't God fix this all now? Why are we wasting our time like singing songs? Shouldn't this prayer of your kingdom come be about fix all the wrong things in the world? And maybe. Like it's no less than that for sure. And we'll hear God's heart for the world too. But I suggest to you today that if God tore down every oppressive, broken, imbalanced, tyrannical system of the world, but did not give himself to us, his presence to us, and enter into our hearts, we would rebuild all of it in like a month. Probably worse with like more confusion and like in 4K HD. Gerhard Lofink um, one of the resources for this series is called the, a book called The Our Father, a little book by a, by a monk. I think the monk, he's a monk. Yeah, I don't know, he has a weird haircut. Gerhard Lofink, he says this, but for Jesus, the reign of God is coming already now, in the middle of history, in the midst of history, simultaneous with the still ongoing dominance of world empires. You know, so in the days of Jesus, there was, you guys following me? We, we, we all together? Like, you guys don't know what it's like to stare at a crowd of people that are just kind of looking at you. And I'm like, okay, we're all awake. This is good. I'm going to just kind of drop a bunch of stuff on you. Just so you know, at the end, I really want to spend time praying this out. So I'm just trying to build a world that y'all are going to pray into today. Like, my job is today is to make you do all the work because the real work happens when the people of God start praying. So I'm just trying to lay a foundation for prayer. Okay, so in the days of Jesus, 
when he walked the ancient world, there was another person. Did you know there was another person with the nickname Son of God? Do you guys know this? Did you guys know that there's one other Son of God? I thought about saying it like that to make everyone go, <gasps> but that's not what it, really what it was. Did you know there was somebody with the nickname Son of God in the day of Jesus who proclaimed very similar things, to rule and to reign, another who forecasted peace and world transformation at his arrival and his name, not his name, but his title was the Caesar. But Caesar and the Roman Empire enacted that rule and reign with force and military power, domineering and enslaving. Jesus enters into this world in the most humble of circumstances, in a nowhere corner of the world, known only because it could supply grain to the overpopulated empire. He rides into Jerusalem on a on a colt, not on a war horse, declaring his reign was truly one of peace, declaring war not on humanity. He wasn't like, I'm about to conquer every kingdom and, and burst through the gates of Rome and take over. He, he was not declaring war on humanity. He was declaring war on spiritual darkness. And then he subjects himself to suffering the Roman's death instrument, crucifixion. And it was there that he proclaims a decisive victory over that darkness by taking on the sins of the world, dying and then rising three days later. You want to know what the kingdom of God is like? It's nothing like the, kings of the kingdoms of the world. It's not going to charge in and say, we got this, and throw spears and swords. It's going to lay its life down. We like to emphasize resurrection so much, and rightfully so. But sometimes that emphasis doesn't come from a place of pure hope and joy. Like, resurrection just sounds much cooler than death, right? And we're Americans. We want Jesus to, like, ride in on a monster truck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Just eating a McDonald's hamburger and just say, let's go! Like, that's kind of what we want to happen, I don't know. It's kind of what I want to happen. That sounds fire. We don't follow um, a king like that. We follow the crucified king who lays down and dies and then rises. The scary part of that is like Jesus's life was exemplary. So if we resurrect with God, if we rise, which we like that part, we want to come to Sunday morning to be lifted up to experience like this beautiful lifting of emotion and spirituality and heart. But if we are also if we are lifted up with God, if we are resurrected with God, then also like him at times you will find yourself laying down and dying. Surrendering, bearing a cross. Why didn't Rome crumble to bits the day that Jesus rose? It was because Jesus didn't come to end the reign of Caesar, like so many of the Jews hoped in his day. He came to establish before our eyes an eternal reality, the upside-down kingdom of God that doesn't look like any other kingdom, one that can actually live and thrive and spread even in the middle of pain and suffering, one that actually grows in the tension of already, not yet. I don't know this morning if you feel any of those pains, those tensions, those sufferings, if you come with a weight on your shoulder but just know as a side note before like everything else that is going to be said today just for you whoever you are God is with you 
Like when you suffer, you actually walk alongside Jesus and Jesus walks alongside you. If God can't escape suffering, then neither can we. But the beauty of that is that he is with you, the king of the universe, creator. Don't be mistaken, laying down one's life, loving your enemy, taking up your cross, it's not a complacent act. We're not called to be complacent and let the world pass us by. We daily enter into the upside-down kingdom of God, daily, by way of this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. It becomes a spiritual reality in our very souls and then makes its way into the body. I read this little book to my baby boy. I've never called him baby boy, but that just made me a little emotional. Um, I usually call him big brother um, to uh, my baby boy. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's super fire. Sally Lloyd-Jones translates the kingdom come portion of the father for kiddos. And she says it like this. Make everything in the world right again. And in our hearts too. So in this prayer, it's not just complacent. It's not just lay down and let, you know, whatever roll over you. It's not just lay down and let the, I don't know, modern anxious monster truck roll over you. It's, it's that in this prayer, we actually get to partner with God to make right what is wrong in both our hearts and in the world. A lot has changed since the days of Caesar, right? For one, his reign ended. Bye-bye. <laughs> Can you guys say that? Bye-bye. <laughs> the Roman legacy is like delicious pasta, right? <laughs> like the, the, the legacy of Caesar is like salad. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Um, so that's what, that's how he, you know, existed for the rest of uh, history. The legacy of Jesus is world transformation, his life and healing is uh, broken families becoming whole. It's like healing in our bodies. It's our whole heart being reformed. For thousands of years, people have been experiencing this and right in the middle of pain. Some of that, so some of the visible progress we've seen in the world since the days of Caesar, I think, I think, and a lot of, of other people much smarter than me think, is because of people throughout history actually listening to God and obeying God. Like, I don't, I don't know what you imagine, but Rome, it wasn't fun for a lot of people. And sometimes, you know, the kingdom, the empire we live in, isn't fun for certain people as well, but more on that, never. Um, not, not today, at least. If you want to come, like, get coffee with me, let's talk about it. Anyways, um, it, you know, so much of modern progress that people like to blindly attribute to, like, humanist innovations or the Enlightenment actually came through devoted followers of Jesus. It's not, like... And it's not just because of prayer. Like, they, they, they prayed, and they asked God, and then they saw things in their lives, and they got to act and, and move. I love those signs, like, all around town. They say, like, um, it says, in this house, we believe science is real. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, that's like saying, like, in this house, we believe the ocean is real or something. It's like, science is just what is. It's just what exists. It's what we observe in the world. And there are lots of 
Christian people throughout history and throughout time that have said, God, what do you want me to do in, in this life? And he's like, I want you to um, make some medical advancements so that people can experience healing. And if you, you know, if you think, I, I've, I had a friend a long time ago. Um, I, I'm sorry. He actually wasn't much of a friend, but he was like a person that I knew. And um, he would do this really dumb thing when we were like 18, 19. He's like, I'm not going to wear a seatbelt because God's going to protect me. Have fun with that, I guess. Uh, I think maybe God might have inspired the seatbelt. You know what I'm saying? He's like, what are they doing down there? They're driving down the road at 60 miles per hour. And then he was just like, hey, guys, put a seatbelt in there. To somebody, to somebody in history, right? Listen, modern medicine and education and human and civil rights, etc. a lot of those things that we take for granted are moved forward and championed and initiated by Jesus' followers throughout history. If you could do some more research on that yourself, but great book, um, Dominion by Tom Holland is a great book. He's not even a Christian, but he's kind of arguing that. He's like, oh, a lot of this cool stuff we got around us is because of Jesus, people. Listen, as we know, not everything is perfect, far from it. We live in the already not yet, which means that there is still work to be done. We get to partake in the establishment of God's kingdom happening all around us. Sometimes that affects the social world around us. That's very good. But I think it always starts in the heart. Let's talk about the heart. Remember that guy standing at the gate of your city or Jacob's city? You guys remember that guy? Yep, you get just a little bit of back and forth. I grew up in environments where they're kind of talked at the preacher the whole time, you know? So just like make me feel at home a little bit. You guys remember that guy at the gate of your city? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I do. Just somebody, if somebody can hit me with a mm-hmm, that'd be nice. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, the guy standing at the gate of your city, surprise, it's Jesus. I bet you didn't see that coming. He's wearing Crocs. That exchange that Jesus invites us into, it begins in the heart. It's a gift of blessing marked by the presence of God. It's an acceptance and surrender that begins in our inner worlds. It's intimacy, not moral or spiritual posturing. Dallas Willard says this, one is blessed, we now know by Jesus' teachings, if one's life is based upon acceptance and intimate interactions with what God is doing in human history. Such people are in the present kingdom of the heavens. Dan said this in the notes, because I got a lot of notes this weekend. It was very helpful, because I was like, what is going to happen on Sunday? Dan said this, we are beginning to pray for God to rule as a king, and simultaneously becoming the fulfillment of that prayer through our allegiance to him in heart, in mind, in body, soul, and behavior. And Henry Nouwen, you guys need to read some Henry Nouwen, says it like this, the most profound insight of the Desert Fathers is that entering into the heart is entering into the kingdom of God, a heaven which is in the heart, a place where Christ dwells within us. So you're getting what I'm saying? All of this has to start in the human heart first. It, it can't just be like social action. I know a lot of people that are, do some really good things, but they're like really mean to their spouse. Just like mean and terrible. And I'm like, I don't. I know a lot of people that like not in here. <laughs> oh, God. 
gosh. <laughs> not, not in here. I just want to like make that very clear. I've been in church for a very long time, and, I, and I've seen things that were kind of incongruent in my life where I was like, that person is worshiping so hard, like right now, just like, and just like going in. And I was like, but they're like, not nice. They're, they're terribly mean. And, and it could be young people, it could be old people. I'm like, how have you known Jesus for 20 years and you hurt my feelings every time I see you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It has to start right here. By the end of your life, like there's, there's a two, twofold vision that you want to have in your life. It's by the end of your life that you're a person that is absolutely consumed by, by prayer and by worship and by knowing God and being in the presence of God. And also that God has taken a hold of your life and you become more like Jesus, right? It, it, there's a statement that I grew up like hearing sometimes whenever maybe someone like my mom or dad would do something that was not very Jesus-like and me as a little Christian kid would be like, Jesus wouldn't do that. That's how I sounded. Jesus wouldn't do that. And then, and then one of them would go, well, I ain't Jesus, <laughs> you know? And I, that, always, that confused me, too. I was like, well, don't you want to? Anyways, where is the kingdom of heaven? It resides in the heart. Where is the kingdom of heaven? In the heart. Not because our hearts are so naturally good and pure and right, but because if you have surrendered continuously, daily, practice, and obey every day, again, you, like not like a come to church once a month. We don't even have an altar call here. So if you wanted that, like, sorry, <laughs> like, oh, why don't they ever call me up to the front so I can be forgiven for all the things that I did this month? Like, it's not that one of those situations. It's a daily surrender. It's a daily confession. It's a daily asking God to come and meet you where you're at and say, what do you want to do in my heart today? When we surrender... When we obey and daily practice, Christ lives there. So it's not like a one-time, like, Christ gets into my heart, and then I can live my life however I want. It's a every single day, I'm asking God to meet me in the space of my heart and bring the kingdom of heaven. Your kingdom come. We let this prayer remodel every room within our whole person to make room for the king of heaven. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are also saying, my kingdom leaves, bows, dissipates, is subsumed into the holy presence and will of God. That might seem like a, a scary thing because we are unaware how imbalanced and almost scandalous this exchange of kingdoms is. We toss and turn and fight and raise our walls even higher and cover ourselves in fig leaves. In the constant movement of life, it's hard for us to recognize the disorder of our hearts, to see ourselves in the incredibly needy position we are in. And Alexis said this in the notes. Sometimes we even avoid these things. We're like, I see it, but I don't want to see it. So I'm going to mask. I'm going to hide. I'm going to ignore it. I know that's not you guys. You guys have got it all together, right? Somebody said, well, <laughs> that's good. But it, listen, if anyone resonates with me today, you feel as if some of the things in your life need to change. If you're also like me, sometimes you feel as if none of those things has anything to do with you, right? <laughs> like, 
God, change that guy over there for me. You know, God, change. If you would just change uh, my brother, then my life would get a little bit better. God, if you would just change my parents, my life would get so much better. God, if you would just change my job or my situation or my thing, uh, my life would get so much better. This is the same as wanting systems to change, but not our hearts changing. Like we have familial and relational systems in our lives. We say, okay, like if God were to tear down every oppressive, broken system in the world, we'd probably rebuild it within a month. The problem with God changing everyone around you is that you're still there. Oops. Oops. Um, and I, this is what I was telling myself all week. I was like, oh, okay. This is what the Lord was saying to me. I was like, okay, right, I get it. Like, don't be so, like, you don't got to be so mean about it. Um, or, or something else we say is, like, God, don't worry. I've got this. Hand me back the keys for a second because, remember, I got that Tesla. I got a college degree. My girlfriend or boyfriend has a six-pack. Like, I got stuff together. Like, I'm taking my AG1. I listen to Andrew Huberman, like, I, or whatever else. Like, um, Organic Olivia. Anybody listen to that one? That's a good one, too. I listen to both of those because I'm like, I just want to be healthy. Um, but that won't, like, change the shape of your heart. No matter how many securities and trophies you accumulate. And today, just so you know, Jesus' response is not harsh. It's very kind and very patient with our ignorance. But he does open your heart and say, let's rearrange some things in here so that we can get to the good stuff. And we're almost to the good stuff. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, you're blessed, which is kind of code for like you're in the kingdom or you get to like participate in the kingdom of God or you begin doing it rightly. When you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right then you can see God in the outside world. And this doesn't mean like I put myself right and then I engage with God. That means I engage with God. He reforms me over a long process of my whole life. And then I get to see God in the outside world. Again, it's like every single day. And if engaging with God sounds arduous to you, like you're like every day, every day I got to talk to God. Well, God is meant to be a friend right? God isn't just like a vending machine from which we get uh, good things when we want them. He's like, I, I, I would really like to be your friend, actually. I offer myself to you. And once the insides of our hearts, things become rearranged, and I'm going to try to move a little faster because I really want to pray. And this is where we'll kind of enter into prayer. We get to intercede for the world because then, right, then we can see God in the outside world. What happens when our inner worlds, our little kingdoms, surrender to Jesus, the true king, and he makes them new? His love becomes our loves. His will and his ways become ours. His vision becomes ours and his compassions become ours as well. Your kingdom come is a prayer of intercession. Richard Foster says, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer because there is a God that we get to interact with that can give those things to them. 
Intercession is a, a way of tangibly loving others. It's a way of actually loving others. And we have to get this into our modern minds. We're like, I know we've had like a culture of people just going like, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. How many of you guys have done that? I've done it. I've done it. This is my confession moment. I've done it where I'll be like, I'll pray for you. Yeah, sick. That made me feel really spiritual and holy, but... Um, But maybe sometimes I didn't do it because I didn't believe that I was actually doing anything if I prayed. I began trying to formulate how I could help them in a better way than prayer. Like some, there's got to be something other than prayer that would help this person's life. You should do things, self-sacrificial acts to help others. But you have to see prayer as equally important and sometimes even more powerful and more effective as a follower of Jesus. Like that's, that's, that's who you find yourself following is a, is a man that thought prayer was very important. That saw it and didn't go like, okay, I could either pray with, for you or I could do, no, he was just, he was praying for people. He was going around. There's lots of stories of Jesus praying for people. When the rooms of our hearts are rearranged, we can see more clearly. It's like an episode of hoarders in there, and God moves some stuff around, and then the acoustics get real nice, and we can hear more clearly. We want to hear things more clearly, and we start asking God questions just so we can hear him speak again. Questions like, Lord, what do you want me to pray for today? Lord, who am I meant to love today in action? Jesus, how can I be self-sacrificial today? And we're coming to the end because I really want to pray. We we intercede, we pray like this because Jesus is the ultimate, ultimate intercessor. He lives within us and is guiding us. Some of these little bits are from How to Pray, Pete, Greg, Go get that book. I think it might be in the neighbor's library. I'll bring it next week if no one put it out there. Um, Romans 8, 34, Jesus is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So we intercede because Jesus is doing it. Like we just, we like, oh, I want to do what you're doing, God. I'm going to intercede for people. And we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with us. So this means like when God is praying and he's interceding and he's praying for you, like, can you grasp that for a moment? Jesus, right now, in this moment, for all of your pains and the pressures in your life is interceding on your behalf. Jesus, right now, is praying for you. This is like a a spiritual reality with your name in mind. He's like, God, would you just bless the kingdom of Jacob? (laughs) or he was just saying probably just Jacob, just normal Jacob. Let Jesus show you how to pray. Um, A couple other points that I'm just going to make real quick. If you're like writing things down, which you should be writing things down, not because um, what I have to say is so great, but I think we should be like a, a notebook sort of church And this means like from the time that worship starts, you're kind of like, oh, what is the Spirit going to say to me? What is the Holy Spirit going to say to me? Not from like the time, we don't crack them open during the teaching only. Like from worship through communion, you're like, oh, and maybe God will start speaking to you because he's like, oh, obviously they're they're listening. Um, Listen, uh, a couple notes. Uh, Stop telling others, I'm going to pray for you. Just pray for them, right? Like that's just a simple, basic, like I know some of you guys are shy, 
and keep on being shy. Be shy. That's great. I love shy people. Just pray for people. Shy, right? Like, don't, I'm shy, God. Like, if God, you stand before God one day, and he's like, hey, how come you didn't never pray for anyone to their face? And you're like, I'm shy. God will be like, okay, well, mm, well, I guess get in here, but like, I don't, <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, like, he'll forgive you. No, I'm just kidding. It's not a sin to not, but anyways, whatever. This is a bad point. Just, let's throw it out. No, stop telling people I will pray for you and just pray for them. Just do it, okay? Prayer is not a personality trait, right? Like, you know, it's like, oh man, that person is a prayer warrior. No, like you should put a little note in your mirror in the bathroom and say like, uh, I actually don't like the phrase, but like, write it. I am a prayer warrior. I am a person that prays. Like, tell yourself and it will, I don't think it will start happening. It's for every kind of Christ follower to pray and intercede on behalf of others. Um, in a second, we're going to join in with what I say is like the sound of, of heaven. Pete Gregg says this in uh, How to Pray. Heaven isn't just a place of songs like harps and stuff. The kingdom of heaven is a place of loud intercession. So that means there are believers for thousands of years that are up there just like praying. And when we pray together and this room is filled with the sound of prayer, we begin to sound like heaven. I have one story for you. Then we're going to pray for like five, ten minutes. And we're going to go in and hopefully that rolls over into lunch. I was walking downtown one day and um, I seen a woman in the, in the middle of the street and she was in a wheelchair. She was really you know, kind of bent over. Um, she was trying to get through the intersection, and there's this guy in a truck, in a big truck, where I was like, okay, big truck guy. And he was, the light was green. So the lady was in the middle of the street trying to push herself up through the intersection. And this truck was not being very kind. It was kind of trying to inch her. I was like, this is an old woman. So I, I just so happened to be walking that day because I don't uh, walk a lot through downtown um, and I just so happened to be walking and I just so happened to be praying in that moment. I just so had happened to, before this moment, ask God, is there anything that you want me to do today? Which is a scary prayer to pray because then it might just hijack what you're doing. And then I seen this woman in the middle of the intersection uh, huddled over uh, and, I, and I ran over and I, I pushed her to the other side of the street. And that could have been my good deed for the day. But then I felt the Lord say to me, and you're going to talk to her now. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to talk to a stranger right now. And then she mostly spoke Spanish. So I was like, even better. Uh, and so I began trying to ask her questions. And through uh, this kind of broken conversation, I decided her name was Angel. And um, she had a bunch of papers with her. I was like, what are these papers? And she was saying it's for her son. Her son is in prison. She wants to call her son, but she doesn't have a phone. And so I get my phone. I was like, okay, we're going to call your son. I call the prison. And... Um, the little thing comes up, blah, 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 state prison, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know what was going on, but she got to talk to her son on the phone. I don't know what they said because they were speaking in Spanish, but it seemed like a good conversation, I hope. And um, then after that, the Lord was like, now you're going to pray for her to stand up. And I was like, oh, man. Okay. Um. And I just said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? I didn't say, hey, do you mind if I pray that you stand up out of your wheelchair and walk? Because that's, I don't, <laughs> you just said pray. So I'm not going to like tell her what you told me to say. So I just, 
prayed that prayer. I said, is there anything I pray for you? She said, pray for my son. And she said, um, I just have pain in my back, a lot of pain. And I, l- listen, there's nothing special about me. I don't like to do things like that. I'm not one of these weird guys that's like, oh, and now we're going to pray for healing. I just love it, God. I love it, Abba. That's not me. Um, I'm not one of those people. I'm like, oh, And so um, I go and I, and I pray for this woman. And we just spend time. And I, I pray really short prayers. I don't like to pray, pray long healing prayers because Jesus never did. Jesus never went, Father, right now, we just come before you. And we ask right now that you would just heal this person of their blindness, God, because you know what's going on in their life, God. And you want to heal the blindness, God. And I pray that every sale will come into alignment right now. Jesus just went, like, be healed. So that's what I did. I just said, um, Jesus loves you so much. Be healed in Jesus' name. And she sat there for quite a while, and I had to get to the bank, and I was like kind of, this is, I'm not like, I, this wasn't like a moment for me, only in retrospect. I was like, I got to go to the bank, Lord. <laughs> and, um, and then she was weeping. She, she, she began weeping. And then she just sat back in her chair, and she stood up. Her, her back was straight. This is an old woman. This is, I don't know, she's probably in her 70s. She stands up, and she just is, like, crying. And um, I get the opportunity then to just tell her, like, hey, I don't know what you've experienced since life. Jesus loves you a lot. And this moment, all this is, is the kingdom of heaven coming to meet you. God really wanted to meet you today for whatever reason. He really loves you. Angel and she pushed her wheelchair away. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she kept on walking like that. I don't know anything. All I know is the miracle that day, I don't even know if it was her walking or if it was that she got to talk to her son or that I was listening enough to actually be a part of what God was doing. Maybe that's a miracle because I could have been on my phone. I could have been just like, I got to get where I'm going, which is our natural state of being. We're like from thing to thing, from ambition to ambition, and we don't stop to go, I wonder what the kingdom of heaven might be doing today, or pray the prayer that's a little bit scary. Okay, God, who do you want me to love today? That's the prayer that we're going to pray right now. That's the prayer that we're going to pray right now. Lord, how do I hand over my world to you? And what are you doing today that I can join in with? That's it. We're going to take about five minutes to do that. I went too long. Again, nailed it. If we are not a people of prayer, if we are not a people of prayer, if we are not a people of intercession, if we are not a people of a rearranging of the heart, I don't know that we are people of the kingdom of God. But here's the good thing. I think that you are, and I think Jesus sees you as those people. So today, you have an opportunity to live into it, just to live into it. Julius is going to play for like a little bit, and um, who's doing communion today? Alexis is doing communion today, so get ready. Um, And um, this is what you're going to pray. You're just going to pray these two things. God, rearrange my heart and tell me what to do so I can live into your kingdom. Simple enough. You don't have to get in a group, nothing. I want you to be like you and God right now. Holy Spirit, come and meet us. Teach us how to pray. Teach us how to live. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just take a couple.